Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The BFI Network Podcast. I'm Matimba Kavalika. It's episode four. At the network, we're into discovering, developing, and funding new and emerging filmmakers. And this podcast is all about meeting some of the UK film industry's best talent. In this episode, we talk to director of Humans, Broadchurch, Misfits, and many other iconic TV moments, Lewis Arnold. We went into the depths of the BFI screening room to eat carrot muffins and talk about making the leap into TV, getting to know the right people, and how being a massive fangirl can really pay off. We are currently in screening room two at the BFI, I was going to say the BFI South Bank, this is not the BFI South Bank, the BFI Stephen Street, which a lot of people don't know has screening rooms downstairs. And we are sitting here with director Lewis Arnold. Welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. No, thanks for coming. And this is quite an exciting one because we've tried many times to make it happen and it hasn't so now anticipation that makes it sound more exciting than it was it, <laughs> the reason we couldn't meet was things like i don't know i had to go and do stuff that was boring and non-film related and some things that were excited and non-film related yeah i just got married yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um lewis tell me a little bit about yourself tell me first of all about your accent because i'd love to know where it's from uh, so I'm from Birmingham originally, okay. so uh, born and raised not far from Birmingham Airport. I haven't been there. So I moved out of there, went to university in Cheltenham, mm-hmm. uh, in the University of Gloucestershire, which is in Cheltenham, and then moved to London when I was 25. Uh, so I've been here, this is where everyone can figure out my age, but I've been here seven years now. So um, it's my accent's kind of dulled. If you meet my mum and dad and my sisters, they're really thick brummies. Mine's kind of dulled a little bit. It's still there. It's still there. But so um, what did you study at university? So I studied video production mm-hmm. at the University of Gloucestershire. It's now, um, I literally was there yesterday, so I, I, I've been doing some module teaching there. Uh, and it's a fabulous course. And it's now, I think it's now called um, film production or digital film production. I think it's film production again now. I get asked quite a lot, actually. Um, it's one of the kind of questions I get asked a lot. from Generally from parents of, of kids that want to go into film and TV and sometimes from kids themselves. But I often get asked by par- family parents of whether they think their child would benefit from going to university. And I, I kind of, I went, that's the route I took. So none of my family are in the business. My dad was a HR manager. My mum worked at a telephone company. My idea to become a filmmaker, I stole off one of my best friends, a guy called Dave Tomlin, who'd wanted to be a filmmaker since he was, you know, 12 years old. And then when we were like 16 he or 15, 16, 
he convinced me and my dad when we took him on holiday one summer to get like the UGC, used to be UGC, it's now Cineworld, uh, monthly pass, which was oh, £10. Yes. And my dad was so against it. He was like, you'll ne- you only go to the, like, the cinema once every couple of months. You're never going to get the most out of it. And because of Dave, Dave was like, nope, we're going to go every week for like a two, I think a two year period. You know, I was making films with Dave as his kind of buddy. But then we were going to the cinema every Saturday. So he'd stay at mine every Friday night. This was for like a whole two years from our last two. We were, you know, we were nerds. This was in our GCSE years. We weren't going out and getting drunk and sort of kissing girls. <laughs> we were going home. We were watching Buffy and Angel on a Amazing. Friday night and then spaced. So we'd have to tape spaced. So we'd watch Buffy Angel, then tape spaced and watch space. Go to bed, wake up really early, get the first bus into Birmingham, go to walk all the way up to the cinema. And we'd usually watch no less than two films and sometimes three across the whole day and then go home. And I remember at the end, I've still got all of the cinema tickets in a drawer at my mum and dad's somewhere. You know, it was so, that that experience was kind of what cemented for me my passion and love for filmmaking. Because up until that point, I was like an any other normal, you know, teenager. And when I was at college, I started editing and I became very proficient in editing and started making very advanced sort of uh, skateboard and skip films. And then from then I was like, I knew that I could be an editor because edit- editing felt technical. It felt yeah. it felt like, you know, I remember watching football games with my dad and at the end they had montages and thinking, oh, well, someone must cut that. And I could do that because I know how to cut and I know how to edit and I understand sort of construct of, you know, um, narrative in regards to editing a little narrative. Yeah, and then I found this course at university and I remember my dad and me having a chat with my tutor. And my dad and my family were a bit nervous about it because it just didn't... When You know, when a kid says they want to dream big, you sometimes, I think they were just what nervous. What were their concerns? Uh, that I could spend a lot of money and a lot of time, um, you know, because university wasn't cheap. It mm. wasn't as expensive as it is now, which is a problem in itself. But um, it was still expensive and I was still going to have to take out a lot of loans and it was going to be difficult. I think their worry was, um, was there a career at the end of it? Was there a job at the end of it? Or was this just for years of just kind of hobbying? It's funny, like my parents and my family are like my biggest fans, you know, <clears throat> my dad came to the RTS Awards with me a few years back and, you know, as my date. And, uh, you know, um, my mum and dad are a huge um, supporters of what I do and, and they watch everything. And my dad does a thing, any TV show I do now, my dad does a thing called Dad's Reviews, so, but he does it of the whole series, not just my episode. Aww. And they're amazing. And I, 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 we, I need to get hold of all of them because he's done it ever since Misfits. Like, And they're like a paragraph long, but he's quite cutting at places. He's quite like, you know, firm. He's always a bit biased with my episodes, but you know, he, <laughs> he can be a bit, um, you know, but, but that's great. And let's talk about NFTS. So you graduated um, and you've done video production, that's three years, right? Yeah. How then did you make the jump to the NFTS? God, this is going to be a bit like a counselling session now. Um, <laughs> it was really difficult, actually. I'd say I'd been directing for a while, but I, you know, from the age of 17, 18, I knew that's what I wanted to, to be and, and do. And at the time, it was I wanted to be a writer-director. And then at university, I wrote all my films and realised that I was a better director than I was a writer and that and then I started working with writers, which was something I absolutely loved when I started doing it. So we made a big decision when we graduated that we'd go and move back to Birmingham for two reasons. One, we couldn't afford to move to London, but everybody else was kind of moving to London. And two, we felt that at the time the screen agencies were, uh, agencies were still in situ and we felt we'd got a better chance of getting finance in the Midlands as Midland filmmakers. So this was myself and my producer, Tom Knight, who I went to university with, who became um, my producer in my last year who made all my films and we became best friends. So we, we basically went back to Birmingham and 
we've sort of scrabbled around for jobs. We both did a stint on doctors running, and then we both realized, both of us actually, that we didn't want to run on doctors. We'd prefer to work on and direct and produce smaller commercial projects that would for not that much money and live at our parents, but be director and producing than sort of spend years at the BBC running, then be told that you're good enough to be promoted to third, then do another few years and be told you're good enough to be a second, then do, you know, it'd be like 15 years before you direct. So we, we decided to, and we both worked for a small company in Birmingham, uh, producing and directing all their online and their videos, whilst we applied for grants and we made, over the course of a couple of years out, suffering so age of, I think I graduated when I was 22 to 25, we made um, two digi shorts. So we made one called Spirited with the late Margaret John and Joe Dempsey. And then we made a film called Stained. And Stained was a film that I'd been trying to make a film about a prison officer for years because this is where it all gets deep now. Um, but uh, basically, I, I knew a prison officer and sort of known how it had kind of ripped his life apart. Uh, he was divorced. And he was a plasterer, and I used to, as one of the things I did, the many things I did to earn money, I used to strip walls, and then he'd come in and plaster. And I remember one day at lunch, he was talking, and he said, "Oh, I've got the kids this weekend." I was like, "Oh, great! You're gonna, you know, you're gonna do anything?" And he said, "No, no, I don't go out with the kids in case I bump into anybody from my time in the prison services." And I just kind of went, "Wow, that job not only has ruined and forced your life apart, but it's kind of, it's moulded your decisions and your life now, you know." And a friend of mine at the time sent me, showed me a book called Screwed, written by a guy called Ronnie Thompson, who was an ex-prison uh, officer who'd wrote a book about his time in the service. And it, funnily enough, just pure coincidence, the first page of the book was a forward by a mentor of mine at the time called Jeff Thompson, who is a writer who wrote a BAFTA-winning film called Brown Paper Bag, and he wrote a feature called Clubbed. So I contacted Jeff immediately and was like, how do I get hold of this Ronnie Thompson? I really want to make a short. It just happened that Ronnie had got this idea called Stained and it was slightly different than what I wanted to make, but it felt like a, a right fit. So we basically went about trying to find finance for that as a short. We thought we'd need, I think we tried to get 50 grand with Cinema Extreme, didn't get it. So then we tried to get 20 grand to make it and then we didn't get it. And then I sort of sat, sat, sat down with Tom, my producer, and said, you know, how do we do this? You know, Screen WM were like, we'll give you, we can give you a digi short, but that's only 10. And we didn't think we could do it for 10 because we had to film in a disused prison up north with a, you know, quite big cast, Frank Harper, Craig Conway and Ricky Harnett. Um, you know, lots of extras and we just didn't, and in the end we were like, well, we're going to have to do it in three days. We're going to have to do it with no lights. We're going to have to, you know, we sort of, you know, created what, how can we make this? And we went and made it and it, it, it you know, the film, did well for us, I suppose. It was the film that got ended up getting me into the NFTS. But the only reason I decided to go to the NFTS was because when we were making the film, my plan was always to make a feature film version of of that world. And uh, we started developing it. We tried to get the option to the book off Ronnie, who was part of the creative team who wrote Stained. And uh, he, we ra then Ronnie ended up raising some money for it via his brother, you know, private investment. And uh, first of all, Tom got kicked off it, which was a bit of a surprise because it was our thing that we'd sort of built from nothing. And then, you know, a month later, I got a call from the other co-writer saying, you know, um, the finances took advice and been told not to invest in first-time filmmakers, so we're going to move forward without you. So we kind of got... It was our first lesson of sort of... Uh, not being protected and you know that, that's what happens when you don't have an agent and stuff so we kind of got burnt quite badly myself and Tom um, and one of the other actors as well and so you know I was at a loss really I was first assistant directing commercials and music videos at the time to pay my bills we'd just moved to London that year I was in a real 
real bad place. Some personal stuff had happened in my life. I didn't know what to do, and I, I you know, I used to hang around the NFTS. I had friends that lived out that way, and I just decided to apply it. I was absolutely heartbroken at my feature film that I'd been working on for a year had just kind of not even fell through. I think it would have been less painful if it had fell through, mm. but it was still going, but just not with me attached anymore. Um, and I went to the NFTS and looked around and just fell in love with the place and just figured that it just felt, it felt, I can't explain it really, but it felt that that was destiny, that was where I was meant to be. I didn't get in initially and then I got, I got I came back, I was doing some charity work in Africa filming and came back or got a call from my dad saying you've got a letter that says you haven't got into the NFTS and I wasn't that bothered. I was in Africa filming, you know, people dying on the cusp of, you know, I was like, oh, that's fine, don't worry about it. And then I came home kind of reality hit and then I got a call saying look someone doesn't want their place we'd like to offer it you and I was like yes so um that's amazing I wonder who that person was I know yeah I'm so into the sliding doors of life you know you're like this thing happened and that thing because it's like if you had gotten that film away you might who knows what might have happened well, I, I, do you know what the, the the truth of the matter is? I don't think him, I don't think I was a strong enough filmmaker back then. In a sense of, I think I would have been told the film I was making and things like that were already happening. Mm. People saying, you know, you should have this person in it, and I was like, this feels like you. It felt like it was being marketed towards a certain market and DVD place, mm. and I wasn't. I was trying to make a, you know, I was trying to make something with real a character piece really that didn't have lots of drugs and stuff in it, but was a character piece, and I think that there was a clash there, and I think. In hindsight, it was the best thing that happened for all parties. Yeah. I, I can read stuff and go, I would, I love it, and I'd go to the cinema to see it, but it's not necessarily the film I'd make. You studied video production, then you've ended up at the NFTS. You've, you've got three really strong shorts behind you. How do you then end up in TV? Because I think also that's what all filmmakers now are like. Oh, I want to make films, but I also want to work in TV. And it feels like this kind of, holy grail of the best of both worlds. How did you navigate that? I I kind of, so I signed to Michelle and, you know, in my first meeting, you know, they kind of do the whole, what do you want to do? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, and I was broke, you know, like I was really, really broke. You know, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm from, um, from Birmingham. You know, the, I was still thirsting. You know, my whole idea was, I just want to work. So I was like, look, I'd, I'd really be, I'd really love to do doctors or anything, Hollyoaks, whatever I need to do to prove, because I can develop my features and I can develop things, you know, and get things ticking over. But like, I need to work. I want to work. I want to prove myself, you know. Um, so I kind of went in and came out with like very little ego, I think, in regards to, or ego is the wrong word, very little snobbery towards TV. Um, and I think Michelle, you know, Michelle sort of recognised, okay, fine, then like, if I can put you forward for stuff, then that's that's what I'll do. And I think I was just very open to that. Because of Michelle, and she has a really great pool of other directors who are very established, I think someone came to her about directors for Misfits, the last series of Misfits, and she put me forward and they watched my films and they agreed to meet me. And so I just kind of like, I'd kind of caught Misfits, but I did like a whole, like, three days of watching every single episode and just fell in love with the show like immediately. So I went down to set and met Nick Pitt, the producer, and had a meeting and just sort of like fanned off. You know, we kept getting told I wouldn't get it because I hadn't got any experience. And then I didn't hear anything for ages and for literally months passed. And then uh, and then I got a call from Michelle one day, you know, months later, thinking that it had gone, saying, oh, you know, Nick, I think what had happened was they were looking for a director to do the last block and I don't think the scripts were ready and so they broke it into another two blocks. So there was meant to be three directors and now they needed four directors and they so episode eight would be shot before episode six and seven so they were looking at other directors again to do that and Nick was impressed or, or, or enjoyed the meeting and wanted to take me to meet the exec producers. So, you know, I literally, I, th I think I was filming and scouting for girls' music video at the time um, which was kind of ironic in Scotland and sort of flew back for this meeting and um, again just kind of tried to get across how passionate I was about the series as a fan which I was that went really well and then two days later I got a call saying can you come and meet Murray who's the other exec and Howard the writer and uh, and I went and met them and me and Howard obviously had a shared love of Buffy and Angel and you know and things and then yeah and then I got offered you know a couple of days later I got offered the last block which was incredible so it was episode six and seven um, so that was kind of my my way in then, and you how know, was that? Were you nervous? Yeah, God, every every it's funny on every job you do, up until I, even now recently. But I remember on I remember on definitely on Misfits, Banana less so, but Humans and Misfits. I remember sitting in the office for the first week, thinking someone at some point is going to come in or call Michelle and say we made a mistake, like uh, we've really made a mistake, we don't want him anymore. And that insecurity never really goes away. Like, um, you just learn to deal with it and manage it more. And that's what I've learned to do is just be like to deal with it, but it's still there. But in those, in that first week of Misfits, I was terrified. I'd been around big sets as a first where you're running the floor. So I was never worried. When going on to Misfits, the, the, the scale of the crew and the scale didn't worry me. 
my nerves came from more can I deliver I mean I've had a, I've had it lots of times I had it on broad church I've had it lots of times where people I walk on a set and people think I'm the runner because I'm quite baby faced I mean I'm you know starting to lose my hair now but like I'm quite baby faced and when I was 28 I looked quite young so Misfits is your first TV gig but you've done so much since then talk us through life since Misfits I guess yeah I've been incredibly blessed I suppose that I've had very good uh, exec producers that have taken chances on me. So obviously Petra, Matt, and Murray and Howard on on Misfits, led by Nick, the producer. But then on Banana, which was my next job, I read the Banana scripts. I read the Cucumber and the Banana scripts, um, and I knew that Banana they were looking for short filmmakers really to to sort of make these films. And I read the first two scripts, and after I read the Scotty episode, which is Letitia Wright's episode, I just was like, I have to do this series. But it's one of the best things I've ever read got offered to direct one and free initially and I was gutted I was really really thrilled to be kicking it all off and you know because when you so when you lead director on a series you make all the dis, the bigger decisions casting how you're going to shoot it the key crew members so you know your HODs um, casting you make a lot of the aesthetic choices design choices um, and then when you become a, when you're a middle block director like I was on Misfits you inherit all of the cast and all the decisions and you have to respect the lead director and respect the, the narrative because we want everything to have coherence. And um, so Banana, I was really chuffed about that, but I was so gutted that I, I wasn't going to get to do Scotty. And then something happened, unfortunately, with, with another director and they offered me to do the first four, which was just, you know, so that was such an incredible job. But I went from, from Banana and Red Humans and was told that, and that was one where it was like, it was a big step up for me. First series, I read the first episode and loved it. It was really creepy, really eerie. And I went to the meeting and felt that the chips were against me really, you know. Um, it, it was a massive cast, you know, very big actors. And I'd only really done at this point Misfits. They couldn't see Banana because it hadn't been released yet. And so that I met for that, and I didn't hear for like months because there was a lot of interior. I, mean, I heard that you know one of the execs, Derek, who's brilliant, had to go to Channel Four to watch my banana episodes, you know, because they weren't allowed to send them out. And you know, there's a whole kind of thing of getting that job. So when I eventually got that job, I was that was the one I was like, they're going to fire me after a week. So I felt that it took so long for the, them to decide to give it me that you get so nervous that you. Um, you'll end up leaving. Yeah, no, so I did Humans Series 1, and then I went back up to Manchester and did uh, a series, a free part called Pray for Red, which was an opportunity to work with Nicholas Schindler again, who I adore, and Tom Sherry, a producer uh, who I'm a big fan of. So that was, a, that was great. So it sounds like in TV, your relationships also kind of, because it sounds like you've had continuity in terms of people that you've worked with, and that's a really... That's a really interesting thing, because I think sometimes in film, it can feel, you know, like a very intense moment of working with these people and then everyone disperses. Yeah, I mean, you, you hope so. I can only talk from my point of view and I, you know, I feel really blessed to have worked with the execs I've worked with. Jane, for example, you know, I did Humans with her and, and I've just done Broadchurch with her. and I went to her after we did... Uh, after we did Humans with a project that a writer had brought to me and we developed it together and... And now we've sold that to ITV, and we start uh, start filming that this year with Sheridan Smith. You know, so that that's what that kind of thing is really great about it. Like you can, if the minute your relationships, the minute uh, I suppose the relationships are sort of abound, 
you can you I feel like I can go to those people with projects and things and have conversations beyond just them employing you to do a job mm. um because it is like film in a way you do become like a family and then you do disappear but the, the great thing about tv i think is because of such a turnover of work the and the circle is actually quite small like you do uh, you do sort of have lots of conversations with the same people which is great what's been the most challenging in terms ah. of um <laughs> <laughs> not in you know in what's been the most challenging for you as a director doesn't necessarily mean the other elements but you know I think you're always challenged on every job and every job has its own unique challenges and and each job is made by those challenges and how you come out of it I remember human series one I worked very closely with an, uh, an editor called Johnny Rayner I remember on, on both series of humans actually one of the biggest challenges with humans is you have a multi-strand narrative uh, so you have lots of characters there's lots of narrative threads and you film it as scripted, but the minute you get into the edit, it, it never usually works as scripted. And so you kind of sit, and we always basically put cards on the wall, like a picture from each scene. And I remember every day me and Johnny were having to sort of try and play around with the structure of, of that. But I find that an incredibly rewarding process. I, I, I love the edit. I love the idea of um, getting the material and then and then putting it together and then watching it and then going, okay, I know what we wanted to do, I know what we wanted it to be, but what is the best, what is the best of what we've got here and how do we make make it work? A rewarding challenge. Yeah. You, you made a, what could have been a negative into a positive reward. But also it's interesting because since this has turned into this is your life, since I've <laughs> gone so far off script, it's brilliant because it connects back to what you said earlier about how you first you know, when you were younger and watching montages and editing and kind of thinking, oh, someone does that. And it's, as you say, some people see something and go, no, but this is how I thought it was going to be. But actually, in your mind, it seems like it's a reward to come out and look at something and go, oh, OK, we thought it was going to be this, but... I always, I always try and say to my students, the best part of what we do is um, is being surprised as as directors. And you can't be surprised if you're dictating the whole process. You know, that's the best thing about a job in all aspects. Mm. You know, you, you want to be surprised with performance. You want to think you know what it is and then an actor comes in and does something and you go, I didn't think it was that, but that's actually really interesting. Like, that's the best thing about what we do. And I think the big thing that young filmmakers have to do is let start to learn to let go. I definitely had to. I was a control freak. I still am. And it's about learning to let go so you can be surprised and also so you can get the m most out of people and out of the, the process, really. Um, but it's difficult. I think I should get that on a mug for some directors. And normally we wrap up our interviews by asking people what one piece of advice would you give to emerging filmmakers? Buy my mug that's going to have on it. If you want to be surprised for the process, don't dictate it. There you go. There no. You go. no, I mean, really, the, the, the most important piece of advice you can give anybody is, and it's a real cliche, but it is the, the best piece of advice to young filmmakers, is the only way you can learn is to make, because a big part of, of learning is finding out your voice, finding out who you are, and you have to make, and you have to make, and that's what the NFTS is so brilliant, because you make a film and you get it interrogated by a room full of people, and then as you finish that and you feel low and you've just evaluated what went wrong with it or what went right with it, you have to make another film. And I'm just going to put a suggestion here that you might want to name your autobiography Hard Work 
and good luck. <laughs> because all the stories that you've told me today have been like the perfect thing of somebody who works really hard and takes every opportunity. Like the person who d didn't turn up to the NFTS and then you got their spot. It's really, it rings true. My old tutor said to me when I left, it, it, he wrote in my final feedback form at university, Dave Dalby, who's an, an absolute legend. He wrote to me, um, you will succeed with determination, hard work, and a little bit of luck. Yeah. And he says, and I wish you the best of luck. And that was, that's true, you know, you need hard, you need to work hard. And even, you know, and all those things need to work and happen together. It's, it's, it's tough, but you know, it can, it can be done. Well, it sounds really exciting. Good luck. And thank, thank you, you so much for taking the time to speak no, to thank us. Thank you so much for having me and for making me uh, muffins and for entertaining <laughs> me. It's, it's been brilliant. But, and I'm sorry for boring everybody as well for, like, for, for ages, but yeah, it's thank you. There's more episodes and lots of content like this on the BFI Network website, including funding, first features, and loads of other interviews. We'd also like to know what you think about this podcast, so why not tweet us at BFI Network? The music you've heard is from Rory Dempsey. Thanks to Lewis, producer Marie, and the BFI Network team. Where would I be without you? Those aren't even the words. It's something similar. It's How something similar. I mean, yes, that, yeah, yeah. How do I live with... I mean, it's the same. You know what I mean? I like your version better. <laughs> yeah, step aside. Oh, it's not Shania Twain. What's her Leanne name? Rice? Leanne Rice. I don't, want, I don't want this to be on. I have this knowledge in my brain. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.